Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Employees are the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers group dental, vision, life, and disability plans designed to protect them. Exceptional service, broad networks, and modern benefits. That's the power of human care. Hi, Jen White here. Before we start the show, the end of the year is coming up and we're reflecting a bit here at 1A. We've loved bringing you shows about pretty much everything in 2023, from interviews with your favorite authors and celebrities to going in-depth on the latest news stories. We've poured our heart into every show, and we're excited about everything we'll dig into in 2024, hopefully with your financial support. This is where we want to say a big thank you to our 1A listeners and anyone listening who already donates to public media. Your support makes independent and accurate journalism possible. We prioritize facts, context, and different perspectives, and we're beholden to no one except you, the public. And to anyone out there who isn't a supporter yet, right now is the time to get behind the NPR network, especially with the NPR newsroom gearing up for an important election year. Supporting public media now takes just a few minutes and makes a real difference in what's possible moving forward. Make a tax-deductible donation now at donate.npr.org slash 1A. And thanks. It's the holiday season, which means bright lights and parties. It can also mean a lot more credit card swipes. From gift-giving to travel to that item you just had to buy for yourself, end-of-year spending is up. Black Friday shoppers spent a record $9.8 billion online this year, while shoppers spent a record $12.4 billion on Cyber Monday. But not everyone is putting cash up front. Buy now, pay later usage hit an all-time high in November, with an increase of over 42% from last year. That's according to Adobe Analytics. Half of Americans expect to take on debt in order to pay for the holidays, according to the personal finance company Achieve. So what is the best way to deal with the rush of holiday expenditures, and how can you meet some of your financial goals in 2024? Michelle Singletary joins us after the break and shares her suggestions to help your bank account survive the holiday rush. Michelle is a personal finance columnist with The Washington Post. She's also the author of What to Do with Your Money When Crisis Hits, a survival guide. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more in a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. 
Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. A member FDIC. Michelle, it's great to have you back. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So we're talking when probably most of the shopping has already been done, Michelle, but what are the best ways to deal with the pressure to buy this time of the year? But, you know, the thing about it is you just need to be honest with people, live your financial truth. And if you have a lot of debt or you don't have an emergency fund and you can just say, hey, fam and friends, I can't do this this year. Uh, I, I just can't. And you don't even have to go into your business, but you just be honest with people. And if you're on the receiving end on that, receive it well. Just say, hey, I understand, no worries. Um, but there is a lot of pressure these this time of year, uh, and it, it causes people to go into that debt because they don't want someone to feel like they don't love them. Now, according to the personal finance company Achieve, Half of Americans will put themselves into debt to pay for the holidays. 37% say it'll take two or more months to pay off those bills. Here's what we heard from one of our listeners. Hi, this is Ron. Just wanted to comment that I definitely do expect to accumulate some debt with the holidays. Uh, Probably going to end up rolling that over into some of my existing credit card debt, which I plan to refinance with a HELOC, even though it's probably not a great idea, but the 10% 10% interest rate that I'm able to get is a lot lower than the 23 to 25 or 26% of my credit cards. So that's my financial goal for 2024 is to try to pay off that debt once I do right refinance. So happy holidays to all. Ron, thanks for sharing that with us. So Ron is using HELOC to pay. What is HELOC first? Just explain what that is. <laughs> I just want to find where Ron is right now and shake him. So HELOC is a home equity line of credit. So um, it's basically borrowing against your home. And uh, I would never, ever advise someone to use the equity in their home to buy gifts for people. That is so financially reckless. Can I say that, Jen? I know I shouldn't be so hard on people, but it's really reckless. Well, Ron sounds like Ron, he was sort don't of... don't do it! He was sort of <laughs> iffy about it. He said, I know it's probably not a good idea, but just explain why. Well, first of all, consumer debt, debt you would put on a credit card, is considered unsecured debt. So if something happens, the worst, you lose your job, things go you know, terribly south. If you have to file for personal bankruptcy, then that um, that money can get wiped out if, if the worst happens. But if it's attached to your home, you have to pay that mortgage because it's secured. It's considered now consur- secured debt and it's secured against your home. So you don't want to turn unsecured debt into secured debt. Um, and that would be the primary reason why I would advise against doing that kind of thing. And it, it's a a signal that you are in trouble if you are borrowing to get your home to buy presents. That is, it's just not a wise thing to do from the, you know, the, what I just explained. But also, um, it means that you don't have the money. Uh, and especially as he mentioned, the credit card interest rates are at the highest it's ever been, over 20% for a regular average card. 
And if you've got some credit issues, your uh, interest could be, as he said, 25 up to, you know, even 30 percent for some folks. Now, but I think what we hear there in Ron's message is, is maybe some pressure to buy gifts for whatever reason. You wrote a guide on how to give without financial strain. Talk us through some of the tips. So um, I wrote a guide and then I, it's a really cool comic. If you go to the Washington Post, you'll, you'll see it. Um, and it's, it, it, I category, I, I put in categories of the people. So like your significant other and what do you say to that? So the first thing is don't spend what you don't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't put it on a credit card. Um, the next thing is you, you tell folks what's going on or perhaps you do like a secret Santa where you have a group of people and you each pick one person. Um, um, and, and if it's children, um, that's the hardest, right? Because they're looking at you with those big wide eyes and you don't want to disappoint <laughs> them. Uh, but for me, uh, with, I have three children. They're all in their 20s now. When they were younger, I think, you know, three or less, they don't remember anything. So I would just <laughs> find stuff around the house that they didn't use and wrap it up and put it under the tree and call it a day. They're like, you're the best and mommy I'm, ever. <laughs> They weren't the wiser, and and I saved a whole bunch of money. Uh, and as they got older, when they did kind of get a little hip to my my trick, um, I would say something like, "Well, you know what? The elves are unionizing, and they are not making as many toys, and so Santa doesn't have a, a lot to bring to you this year. So <laughs> you got to put, you know, give me a list, but you can only get three things off the list. I mean, we made it fun and yeah. funny and gay. Okay, so I, I'll admit they weren't." amuse all the time but I was the parent I put my husband and I put rules around gift giving within our limit and even uh, children understand things better than we think so age appropriately you talk to your children if you're in financial difficulty all seriously um, and just say hey mom and dad are having or mom or dad are having some issues um, but we want to make it a good holiday, but we can't get maybe as many things as you might want. Mm -hmm. So what do you really want? And then try to work around that. Mm -hmm. Now, look, it's what, the 19th of December at this point. So Mm -hmm. we're catching people kind of late with this conversation. So for people who have already acquired some holiday debt, what's the best path forward? Well, first of all, you know, they say if you're in a hole, stop digging. And actually, you know, this is some of the busiest times for shopping between now and and, and December 25th. And so lots of people are still have things to to shop for. But if you've already done it, you're already in debt. No point in kicking you. I'm not going to kick you. uh, But I will say that you need to come up with a debt payoff plan ASAP and I recommend say you've got a couple of credit cards and you've you know spread the debt among these cards pick the one that has the lowest balance concentrate on that and from my experience working with hundreds of people in debt that once you pay off the smallest balance you get this sense of accomplishment and you end up paying off the rest of the cards even faster so smallest balance first throw all the money at that one, and then from that one, move to the next one. Now, some people say go with the one with the highest interest rate. I don't do that, but if that's how it's going to work for you, that's fine. But whatever you do, come up with a plan. Um, and as soon as the holidays are over, sit down, look at everything, list them. You can either use my plan or however, whatever plan you come up with and, and stick to it. Uh, and I suggest people pull out all those credit card statements and put them on their desk so that it's a daily reminder that you've got this debt and that you want to get rid of it. I, I 
Want us to talk just about the philosophy of spending at this time of the year? Because I think, my, so I was fortunate. My my parents really put a focus on experiences, right? It was about yeah. it was about the time we spent together, not so much what types of presents we were receiving. And and is that a way perhaps to frame this time of year? If people are trying to figure out what can I give to the people in my life, that maybe it's it's more about the experience of being together. It sounds kind of hokey, I know, but. Is there something there? It's absolutely something there. Um, it, we we say it's the thought that counts, but that's just not true. That's not how we do things. Um, my husband and I one year did something called the hundred dollar holiday, where you only spend a hundred dollars on everybody. People was like, even the kids? Yes, <laughs> even the kids. And so what we replaced with that was experiences. We baked cookies. We played family games. We, li- we watched Christmas movies. Um, and it was hands down. I'm going to tear up. <laughs> hands down. It was the best holiday that we ever had. Coming up, what's the best way to plan for financial health in 2024? And if you're still buying presents this week, and maybe you're turning to some buy now, pay later apps, what should you know about those before you use them? We'll be back with more in a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy, family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, Axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts. As holiday shopping reaches record highs this year, we're talking about how to plan for financial health in the new year. Now, some folks, Michelle, are not using credit cards. They're using buy now, pay later apps like Klarna and Afterpay. They were used over 40% more this year than last. And these apps allow users to pay interest-free installments over time. And many of you have used them. Here's what you had to say. Hi, Olivia from North Carolina. I have used Affirm and Klarna to pay some bigger purchases, such as car repairs. Um, And that's really helped during the holiday season. So I'm able to 
spend more money and allocate my money for presents, um, I wouldn't have been able to do this about five years ago. My daughter used Klarna to buy airline tickets. The airline agency never bought the tickets, and Klarna hounded her for more money. She'd already paid half of the tickets. I say, don't use Klarna. This is Jonathan calling from Westchester County in New York. I use Affirm and Klarna and Afterpay, and I think these are great ways to budget myself and only pay a certain amount. Hi, my name is Drew Christensen. I live in Idaho. My wife and I have actually used those quite a bit in certain situations. We used it to get into a mattress that would be a better option than what we could afford as well as in times when our phones have broken and we needed a new one. So uh, those have really helped us out of tight situations. Thanks for all those messages. Now, when I first heard about these Buy Now, Pay Later apps, Michelle, I was like, oh, layaway? Explain how these things work. Yeah, so I'm going to date myself, Jen. <laughs> like I just did. <laughs> like you just did. We're the same age group. So layaway back in the day was that you would pick items out. You would get, it would stay with the retailer and you'd make payments until you finish paying it off. Then you get to take the items with you. This buy now, pay later is the opposite of that. So you take the item now and you pay for it over four or five payments. Now, you know, many, as many of your call mentioned for things that are a necessity like your car breaks down you have to get to work you don't have any savings it allows you to get that car fixed and stretch those payments so maybe it's a thousand dollars but you can afford 250 you know uh, for right now so I get that um, and it can be an advantage for people who are trying to get things that are a necessity um, the trouble comes when you are overextending yourselves on many of these plans for things that are not a necessity. Clothes, um, you know, well, our phones become a necessity now, but, you know, other electronic uh, things, gifts during the holiday season. And, and if you're not careful and you miss payments, you can end up with a lot of fees. Interest can kick in because they set it up so that it's interest-free over four or five payments. But if you don't make those payments, then some interest for some of the the uh, vendors who do this, or they might actually uh, report some of your missed payments to the credit bureaus. And so this is the same thing that can happen with a credit card. People become overextended because it seems so easy. And let's say you set it up so that money comes out of your bank account and you miss a payment because the money's not there. Um, and now you've got an overdraft fee and then you've got fees with the card. So you can see how it can snowball if you don't keep track of it. And one of the callers mentioned Let's say you return it or something happens, but they're still uh, dinging you for the payments. Um, and so you just need to be careful. When you go to use this, I think you should ask yourself, is this a need or is this a want? Uh, and if it's a want, you should be questioning whether you should be buying it at all, even if it's an easy for payments. I think we should just acknowledge there, there are some people who... For whatever reason, just may not want to have the financial conversation. They don't really want to look at their bank account. They don't want to engage in it. I mean, how if you if you are afraid or you perhaps didn't learn how to talk about money, how can you start that conversation first with yourself, and then if you're part you know of a family unit or you're sharing expenses with someone else, 
start to have that conversation with that other person or people. That is such a great point uh, because we do sort of talk about everybody has this ability to manage their finances and it's just not so. And if you can't do it yourself, then you need help. Um, you know, I run a program at my church um, where we meet every month and we, you know, more than 80 percent of the people are just that person. They can't face their finances. And we match them up with a money mentor and that person helps them have that conversation. If you don't have something like that in your community, um, there is nonprofit credit counseling. Um, and if you go online and put in nonprofit um, uh, credit counseling, you'll come up with an organization, National Federation of Credit Counseling, that will um, help connect you with budget counselors and people who can have that conversation with you about your finances. So what you're and describing so- is not a financial advisor. This is something else. That's right. So credit counselors are people who can do debt payment plans. They can do budget talks with you. They can walk you through. They are like your money mentors that I have with my program. And so that's what I recommend for people if you can't do it yourself. You know, I mean, and and it's, it's understandable. It's really hard to do this money thing. And so it's uh, the the website is nfcc.org. Um, and that's where you find and be careful that you make sure that it is a nonprofit um, organization. So that's the National Fa- uh, Foundation for Credit Counseling. That's what I want you to be sure that you go and look for, because I think that can help a lot of people if you can't do it for yourself, um, because this 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 money thing this that thing and it goes deep it a lot of it is your background maybe you grew up poor and now you've got a little bit of money and you just spend because you remember what it was like not to have or maybe you grew up in a household where you got everything you wanted and now you don't have that kind of money and you still are trying to relive how you were raised that anything that you want you should get no matter what um, and that can be a problem for a lot of people and that's why you have those statistics that you mentioned at the beginning of the show where people are rolling over credit card debt, not just a couple of months, but sometimes for years. And you know, if you're listening, that is you. And I think we also should acknowledge that you don't learn how to manage your money via osmosis, right? You may pick up some things from the household you, you grow up in. You may pick up that money's something to be worried about or afraid of, or it's, it's bountiful, but you really don't see the inner workings of how the finances are being managed. And so this, this idea that we magically spring into our financial existence, knowing what to do, it's just, it's not true. And it's not like we teach it in, in a lot of schools either. A lot of yeah. kids don't have have these financial management classes that I think some people may have grown up with. And so maybe extend ourselves a little grace if we're learning about this in, at a time that it feels it's maybe a little later in life. That's exactly right. So extend yourself grace. Now, some of us are born. I mean, so we have gifts. I have gifts. I was born. I came out the womb looking around like, are you throwing <laughs> that stuff away? Like, really? Can't you reuse something? I, I, it was a gift. <laughs> some of us... 
moment a dollar hits our palm, it's gone. Uh, and if that's you, if it's a struggle or you're in a relationship, you need help. You need someone, a mentor, you know, and some of us need counseling because um, we're dealing with some demons that puts us in debt. Um, and it's okay to seek help. You know, if nothing else, I'm going to get so philosophical here. You know, when the pandemic happened, we realized how how much people were struggling. Mm. Uh, and I think a lot of people sought mental health um, during that crisis. And I would love for that to extend to finances. It's okay to get help because some of this stuff does, has nothing to do with money. It has with, you know, some trauma that happened to you or something that, you know, you just can't deal with yourself. So you either go to a care to counseling or go to a therapist and help you. Like I have the opposite. I grew up with my grandmother, big mama. She was great with money and I hate spending money. And so I can't spend money. And I talk to my therapist all the time. Like I can't let no dollar go from my palm. Like, let it go, Michelle. You know? It's okay. <laughs> She's like, it's okay, you can spend, you know, and I wrote recently, my husband retired, and it's like, I'm crazy around here. And, you know, he's like, we saved all this money, can we spend it? And I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Dude, you know, and he's like, my baby, we can't take it with us. And if we don't spend it, our kids are going to spend it. And so, you know, that's the flip side yeah. of someone who has financial trouble. So, the, the, the crux of your question is actually correct, that if you are in the situation, if you find yourself season after season overspending, then you need to get help to figure out what's behind that. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you're a people pleaser. Maybe there's, there's just some things going on. Because I want people to have financial freedom, not to buy more stuff, so that they can afford health care, so that they can retire um when they can enjoy more of that second season of their life, or maybe you could help other people in your family. I am not, I don't, this show is not about, Hey, don't spend anything for Christmas. Don't say anything for Hanukkah. Don't, you know, don't give anybody anything. That's not what we're saying. We're saying in moderation, giving is a great thing. It becomes bad when you're going into debt and you are jeopardizing your financial future to please someone, to give them something that they probably don't like and then want to take back any way. Here's a question we got from Amy who says, I'd like help with making a realistic budget and sticking with it. Any tricks to saving? I love that question. I love saving. That's like my favorite <laughs> thing, right? Like, you know, um, I, I like to start with goals because if you have a goal in mind, it becomes easier to save, in my opinion. And so don't start with, I got to get rid of debt. Just say, I want to get rid of debt because, and then whatever that because X is. And so, for example, you know, my husband and I, we have three kids. We wanted to send them to college with no debt. And so we made that a goal. And every time we went to go spend, we question ourselves, is this going to help us reach that goal? And so we were able to pull back. We didn't overshower them with gifts because that money then went into their college fund. And I tell you, all three of them graduated with no debt. And wow. it was, it's just such a great feeling that gift the ultimate gift that we gave to our children is financial freedom. And and at the time, sure, they missed the stuff that their friends were having. But I'm telling you right now, in their 20s, when they don't have any debt, they say, thank you, mom and dad, for doing that for me. And so, they didn't think us back then. And we had to put a lock on our bedroom door so they wouldn't <laughs> choke us in our sleep, right? But, 
But we because we we were we had experience enough to know that down the road they would appreciate being debt free. So set set a goal and then I'll marry that with this other message we got from our text club. Now that mint is ending soon, I need suggestions mm-hmm. for an easy mechanism for budgeting and tracking my spending, income, debt, and investments. Now mint is a budgeting app. It's being discontinued in twenty twenty four. So okay, you've got your goal, but then how do you actually set up the, the logistics of managing yeah. that budget. So I get asked, Jen, I get asked this question all the time. And I think you're going, well, you probably know me now. So, you know, you're probably not going to be surprised. I don't use nothing. I, this is what I do. An I Excel go to the spreadsheet? Dollar, Anything? I, my husband uses that. And he sends it to me with these graphs and charts. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I pull out the dollar store notebook and I write down all my stuff mm. in my notebook and check it off. It doesn't matter. Um, and there, you can search a, a, a budget app and come up with all kinds of things. Most banking institutions or credit unions have something online that will help you do that that is free. So it's not the tool because um, that person is already primed to get their money together. And you know how I know it's not the tool? Because right now, listening, somebody has an exercise bike. or a treadmill or something that is a clothes hanger you know so if it was just a bike that got you in shape then I would say okay but it's not just a bike it's not that expensive you know I'm not gonna mention the label because I don't want to get in trouble but you know that bike that people pay a whole bunch of money for Uh it's that's not it that's not the tool you when you are ready to get your finances together you know that's just a bonus. What, what right? about like a framework, though? So if I'm trying to set up a budget and figure out, well, how much should I be spending on, you know, my, my rent and food and how much should I set aside for a little bit of entertainment or whatever? What's a good framework to, to have? So the, um, so there are all kinds of tools online. And remember, I mentioned that um, National Financial for Credit Counseling, they actually have budget counselors that you can call. And, and they are priced so that if you don't have much money, you're not going to be charged. If you've got a little money, you might be charged a little bit for their services, but most of their services are free. Um, you can go online to your banking institution. They have apps. I know all of mine do that you can put in your information and it'll kind of give you a sense. Um, if you go online, you can search for how much should I be spending on housing? And I recommend, for example, if for housing, rent, either your mortgage or your rent, you shouldn't be spending more than about a third. So like, you know, 30 or 35% of your take-home pay. Now, I know for many people in many areas, that's not doable. So if you're spending 40 or 50% on housing, then you have to spend less on other categories. And so what I'm saying is you're going to have to do a little bit of legwork to find out how much you're going to be spending. But there are a ample amount of tools online just put in there how do I budget you'll come up with a template check your uh, financial institution they have the templates and you can and they will help guide you and they even talk back to you oh you spent x on eating out last month is that really what you want to do and that's how you stay on track with if you want to use a tool we're going to head to a quick break but when we return we take a look at how to make ends meet in retirement stay with us we've got a lot more still ahead This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. 
Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Amgen, a biotechnology pioneer leading the fight against the world's toughest diseases such as cancer, heart disease, asthma, and osteoporosis. In a new era of human health, Amgen continues to accelerate the pace of change, operating sustainably and drawing upon deep knowledge of science to push beyond what's known today. With each decade, they reliably deliver powerful new therapies to patients. Learn more at Amgen.com. Let's get back to the conversation with this message we got from Larry in Salt Lake City who says, My fiancé and I turned 40 together and have situated ourselves with a successful business doing handyman and cleaning services, but we are deathly afraid that we may never own a home of our own. Our 19-year-old daughter couldn't think to move out right now. It's a heartbreaking feeling. What would you say to those struggling to get into the housing market right now? It's a, it's, it's a tough uh, time for people um, home ownership is out of the reach of so many Americans. Uh, and I will say, run the numbers. Uh, I mentioned before that I try to keep people within 30 to 35 percent of their net pay in terms of housing. <clears throat> if you find that you are beyond that, then you've got to really look at your budget and see, can you carry more? And if you can't, then it's okay if you can't buy a house. Um, you are not a financial failure if you are not a homeowner. Uh, anybody who's ever owned a home, and I do, I've owned a couple, um, know that it can be a money pit. And so you don't want to get into it thinking this is my financial savior, that everyone says you've got to buy a home, you've got to buy a home. That is, you know, the way to build wealth. It is one way to build wealth. The other is the difference between what it would cost to maintain a home and all the things that go with that. You can invest that money and have um, a secure retirement and savings without home ownership. And I always put it this way. I own my home. Literally, I have no mortgage. My husband and I have no mortgage. But how do we access that equity? We either have to sell or borrow against it, which means then we become debtors again. And so we don't view our home as part of our um a significant part of our net worth. Uh, and I say that to the many Americans who are listening, who, who are feeling bad that they can't buy a home. Uh, and I, I don't want you to feel that way. Uh, now, having said that, do we need more ways for people to own a home? Sure we do. We need more first-time homebuyer programs. We need to, you know, uh, the cost of a home, the, the, the mortgages, all of that. And it's particularly high now because the Fed has been fighting uh, high inflation. But the message I do want to say is that it's great if you can be a homeowner, but you're not a financial failure if you can't. And if you're feeling that that pressure to purchase a home, you know, if you, you how should you think about the overall cost of the home versus the mortgage payment? Like what you think you're going to be paying a month, barring any unforeseen circumstances, to really figure out whether or not you can afford it. Because if you look at it on a month to month basis, you may be like, well, I, I think I can swing that. How should you think about those two different numbers? So you do want to come up with a housing budget. So we often do do that. This is the mortgage. This is the rent. It's kind of the same. So I might as well buy. But there is so much maintenance that goes into our home. If your toilet breaks, the roof comes in, anything happens, that's on you. And do you have the money to cover that? I'm telling you, as soon as we paid off our house, our house said, I'm going to get them. <laughs> and so our heater went up. Our dishwasher went up. I mean, I, I, th- I come into this house. I say, I paid you off. Why are you doing this to me? Uh, and, and I'm just like, but we have 
have the savings to do that. Um, and that's what I'm trying to say that you can't, you have to look at the total cost of home ownership, you know, homeowners insurance, um, you know, and you, you do need to keep upgrading your home if you want to keep the value. Um, and so, you know, right now we're doing all kinds of things in our home to make sure it's, it keeps its value and is comfortable for us. And so you got to look at all of that when you buy a home. Go to the neighborhoods that you want to live in. Talk to homeownerships. Get a sense of what it costs to be that homeowner before you dive into that. Uh, and in some neighborhoods, some communities, it's just so crazy outrageous. Just don't do it. Because if you are spending 50 to 60% of your take-home pay, you are not going to be able to save for retirement. You are not going to be able to save to send your kids to college. You're not going to have that cushion that you need. And I need you to have a cushion before you become a homeowner. Well, another huge purchase someone makes is a car. One of you shared this. I'd love to learn more about paying off our car and saving for our next car. My husband's 2007 car just died a few weeks ago, and I have a 2008 car. It's only a matter of time, and we both rely on our cars heavily for work. Michelle, your thoughts? Well, I have a 2006 Honda Odyssey that looks crazy. And I, my husband's like, don't you want to upgrade? I do not. Uh, and um, here's my strategy, because I believe you get one car note in your life, because lots of times it's hard to save up all the money. You get one. And then after that, you should never need another car note, because when you pay off that car, you continue to make those payments to your savings account. You then keep that car for 10 or 15 or 20 years. By the time you need another car, you have enough money saved to pay cash for that car. And that's how my husband and I have not, we had, we have not had a car note in decades because that's the formula that we follow. Uh, and so, and you can invest that money because you're not going to need it for a decade. And so that's how you do it. Now, if you're in it now, and you don't have enough. I need you to hold on to that 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 clunker and keep fixing it. And you're like, wait a minute, Michelle. Like the car is only worth two thousand dollars, and it's going to cost me fifteen hundred to fix it. Fifteen hundred, as opposed to the average new price of a car now is approaching almost fifty thousand dollars. So fifteen hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now I'm not a math genius, but I do think that fifteen hundred is less than almost fifty thousand dollars. Fix those old cars, and I know people are already writing you letters, Jen. It's like, well, what about safety features and all this kind of stuff? You know, I'm talking about affordability. As long as the car is safe, it's got airbags, it's got seatbelts, it's got the ma- major things that you need, and you. You don't have the money to buy a new car yet, then fix it um, and then keep it until you can get one. And then once you get that car, if you get it with that one loan payment, then make those payments to yourself because where does that money go once you pay the car off? Like it just gets evaporated into your budget, but you already are used to paying that. So put that money to the side, hold on to your car. And the other thing is keep your car maintenance records. You know, we get our cars, the oil change, we maintain it. As soon as a light comes on, I'm in the garage making sure whatever it is. So you need to keep fixing it and it will last. My 2006 Honda Odyssey is going strong. It don't look good. (laughs) It's rolling and it don't look good, but that's okay because I'm so cute. Guys still wave at me when I drive. (laughs) Oh, man. I want want to get to something we got a lot of questions about, and that's how to deal with finances during retirement. Um, A member of the 1A Text Club writes, I retired last year with a pension, but this inflation has me to the point where I will have to get a job to make ends meet. And, And Michelle... 
I mean, the rising costs that a lot of people are facing, it's it's a real thing. Any thoughts on how those in retirement can deal with this? It's real. It's real. Uh, and, and I think the caller is doing what some people have found that they're doing, um, temporarily having to get some job to bridge that gap with, with inflation. The good thing is inflation is coming down. Um, it's still a problem for a lot of people. And so that means that you've got to revisit your budget. Are there some things that you can cut? And, I'm, and I know that there are some people who are living in object poverty and every dollar is accounted for and they just can't cut anything else. I'm not talking about them, folks, but there's a lot of people that if I look at your budget, I can find some money because we kind of lie to ourselves. We're like, oh, I cut as much as I can. But then I look at your budget and you're eating out or, you know, like right now you're buying presents and things like that. And so really look at your budget, the subscriptions that you have, just cut as much as you can to make do and that it may mean that you might have to get another job or perhaps if you've got a house and you've got an extra room you can um, rent out some of your space. Um, There are many communities where um, like maybe there's college students who could uh, room uh, you know get a room from you so you've got to be more creative in terms of trying to make those ends meet Um, uh, and it may mean making some hard choices because that's the That's the culture economy that we have. We don't have as many protections as some other countries around the world. Uh, And I hate to say that I wish I had a better answer for people in this situation. But I understand the struggle, even though my husband and I have done well and we get savers. I'm scared to death. I wrote a column in the post that my husband retired. I'm scared to death of running out of money. And I'm not going to, if my health holds up, run out of money. But it's that fear um, particularly as it relates to health care. So you hold on to those dollars. Well, a big change that happened this year, and it's affecting people's wallets. After three years of a payment pause, borrowers are now having to pay back student loan debt. One of you writes this, I'd like help with managing student loan repayment and working it into my budget, along with rising rent and cost of food. It doesn't seem like it's going to go down. The average monthly student loan payment is around $500, Michelle. That's according to the Education Data Initiative. What What's the best way to handle such a huge expense that borrowers haven't had for the past three years? Uh, so, well, first thing, obviously, contact your, your loan servicer. But uh, the Biden administration created this program called the SAVE plan. And it allows people to um, pay based on their how, their uh, their family size and income. So for many people who are not making a lot of money, they actually may have no uh, monthly payment. Um, and so they need to go to uh, studentaid.gov and look into the SAVE program. And here's one aspect of that new program that I think is so it's going to help so many borrowers if you have a payment plan that is less than the interest because that's what usually happens before the interest gets tacked onto the loan and then you're trapped into this loan forever because you know you're you're paying interest on interest and so with the save program if let's say your payment is a hundred dollars a month but you owe 250 with the interest the the difference you do not have to pay back it does not get tacked onto the loan and so that's one way for many people to afford their student loan program. So if you have not looked into that, that is one program. Um, It's the income-based repayment plan that you should look into and see if you qualify for. Because as I said, for some people, their payment might be zero a month. 
I want to quickly get to this last uh, question we got about helping the next generation. I'm making good money and I want to be a good ancestor and lift the boats for future generations. Yet I come from generational poverty. And while I've taught myself a bit about investing and retirement planning, I know absolutely nothing about managing wealth. What even qualifies as wealth? Michelle, what would you say to this person? Oh, I say I am you. Um, I was raised by my grandmother, who was a hard worker, but she didn't make much money. Uh, And she paid off her home before she retired, but she didn't have much left of that. So she knew how to handle and budget, but she didn't know how to teach me how to build wealth. And I like to joke that she didn't even believe in bonds. The only bond she had was the bond adhesive for her dentures. (laughs) And so I had to learn on my own the power of investing. Um, And once I did that, then I turned around and taught it to my children, my husband and I. And so, you know, uh, my son is still getting himself together, but my, my two girls, they're starting to invest. My oldest has a retirement account. She's putting 15% of her income and a non-retirement account. And you just, that's how you do it. You learn yourself and then you teach it to the people around you, your children, your cousins. And, and, um, that is how you change the legacy and appreciate what wealth can do for your family. I feel like we never have enough time, but we've got to leave it there. <laughs> Maybe you can come back early 2024 and we can get to the questions we weren't able to tackle today. That's Michelle Singletary. She's a personal finance columnist at the Washington Post. She's written several books, including What to Do with Your Money When Crisis Hits, A Survival Guide. Michelle, thank you so much. Thank you so much and happy holidays. Happy holidays. Today's producer was Michelle Harvin. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.